Well, good morning, Fellowship Bentonville. My name is Houston Clifton. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm a worship leader uh, on staff. I lead uh, with our students in, uh, in the other building on most Sundays. Um, hey, as we begin uh, to uh, begin our time of worship, as we begin to pr uh, prepare our hearts uh, for worship, I'm going to read this, path, uh, this passage of Scripture for us. It says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Would you stand? Let's sing together. Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness. You have filled me with peace. Giver of mercy, you're my help in time of need. Lord, I can't help but sing. Sing faithful. Faithful.
sing, I will rest. All God's people say, yeah, you have that lyric down. Good morning. Feel free to grab a seat. Welcome to Fellowship Bentonville. And if you're a newcomer here this morning, uh, we're glad that you are here. In fact, we've said it the last few weeks. We'll say it again. You really are part of the reason that uh, we launched this this location, this congregation. Uh, We love our neighbors. Uh, We love the nations that we live around. And we're glad that you're part of uh, joining us this morning. Hey, we do have a newcomers gathering for those that we're going to just do on the first Sunday of every month and immediately after this service for about 20 minutes. If you'd like to find a little orientation about Fellowship Bentonville, you can join us in the student ministry room. We call it sometimes the FSM room, and it's right across the courtyard, and we'd love to to meet you. If you've been coming for a while and you're looking for how to make this your church home, the best next step to do that is to jump into Discover Fellowship. Uh, it's a small group and large group experience, runs for about eight weeks. Uh, we would love to know that you're coming if you're planning on joining us. And so use the QR code and sign up. It just lets us prepare. And uh, we'll look forward to having you join us on, on May the 15th. Uh, Downtown Bentonville always does First Fridays. Fellowship Bentonville just thinks we can do better. So we do First Sundays. And First Sundays, if you'll look right around here, you will see a good portion of our student ministry here. Students... Welcome. We've been making room for you and are glad that you're here. Uh, On the first Sundays of every month, from now on, this isn't just kind of a special May 1st kind of thing. Uh, Our dream as we launch this congregation is to live as a multi-generational body, believing that 
that we as adults, we need our students, and our students, well, yeah, they still need us as well. And so on the first Sunday of every month, our junior high students worship in the first hour, our senior high students worship in the second hour. And, and I'll tell you, uh, we do need you and are glad you're here. Don't Students, don't let us get away with telling you that you're the church of tomorrow or you're the future church. No, that's wrong. You're the church today. And we want to be part of what you're doing, and we know that you want to be part of what we're doing. By the way, that's why we teach the same passages. So, parents, I don't know if you know or if your students have told you, but when we teach things in here, your students are walking through the same passages uh, in their room as well. But once a month, we want to come and worship together. I've been part of a congregation that has done that, and I'm telling you, the gift that you are to us during that monthly worship time is huge. You tend to take the passion meter up a little bit in the room when you come in. We don't want you to edit yourself down this morning. Don't climb on the furniture or anything, but the way you worship is the way we want you to worship in here with us as well. And by the way, we know you need us as well. We tend to deepen uh, the wisdom that, that you'll need and want in life as well. So I'm grateful for that. The same mission and vision, students, that you live and breathe is what we do in here as well, which is beholding Jesus belonging to one another, and then becoming his disciples. And that's what we're about. This morning, Hunter House will uh, continue teaching through the seven I am's uh, in the Gospel of John. And we're actually on the last of Jesus' I am statements on I am the vine. This morning, we're going to talk about life at its best. Life when it flourishes the way God designed. And that only happens when we stay connected to him. We're also going to observe communion this morning which is a joy to do as a body of Christ. So we gather around the bread and the cup to symbolize our union with Jesus and his life in us. This morning as well, I use a little prayer guide called Valley of Vision, and the one that came up this morning was the name of Jesus. Let me read the last over us. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand. Here's our prayer this morning. O oh Lord, your blessings are as secure as they are glorious. You have provided for my safety and my prosperity. And you've promised that I shall stand firm and grow stronger. O oh Lord God, without the pardon of my sin, I cannot rest satisfied. Without the renovation of my heart by grace, I can never rest easy. Without the hope of heaven, I can never be at peace. But all this I have in your beloved Son, Jesus. Blessed be his name forever. And all God's people say, amen. Let's celebrate God's amazing grace as we sing out this next song with some joy and energy.
Church, before we continue to worship um, by passing offering and offering our, our tithe to the Lord, would you read this prayer with me? Blessed are you, God of all creation. Through your goodness, we have these gifts to share. Accept and use our offerings for your glory and for the service of your kingdom. Blessed be God forever. Amen. You can have a seat.
presence in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my death. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. Well, amen to that. I have a question for you this morning. How do I experience full life? How do I flourish? There's a lot of ways to answer that question. Uh, the way that we live our lives, the way that we spend our time and our money, the decisions we make, all those things point to how we as an individual answer that question. Miss Shirley knows the answer to that question uh, because she tells everybody about it. Everywhere she goes, she finds young people and she asks them, do you know Jesus and are you plugged into a church? And if they say no, and I quote, they get a little sermon. Um, I've been given a sermon by Shirley. I'm like, Shirley, I know Jesus, but thank you. How do we answer that? There's a guy way smarter than me. His name is Mark Sayers. He's an Australian author uh, and pastor. And he says this. He says, every human being flourishes when they have these buckets full. These are the, the kind of the categories that we need full in order to flourish. We need meaning, purpose, and what we do, and, and who we are. Uh, we need freedom, not to be constrained 
by certain things, not to be under the control of certain things. Um, and then community, right? Relationships with others. And we are all, based on our personalities and where we live and the time in which we live, we probably all seek to fill these in different ways. In America, there is one that gets filled up a lot, that stands out more than the others, which is it? Freedom, right? This is where we say true life is found in freedoms, protecting our freedoms. Don't mess with my freedoms, right? And the hard thing is, there's lots of hard things about that, but one of them is people define freedom in different ways, right? What does freedom actually mean? And so we seek to kind of fill these up. And what I'd love to do this morning, because I actually think there is some truth in this, but what I'd love to do is step back and actually ask that question, how do I experience a satisfied and full life? Is it through one of these things? You know, we all answer it differently, but with there being multiple ages in here, uh, multiple races, multiple different parts of the country where people have moved here from, multiple different countries represented, is there one universal answer that we could all say is true? This is how you experience a satisfied and full life. I don't believe that I am qualified to give you that answer. Uh, I don't think my opinion is any better than yours, if I'm being honest. But I do believe that the word of God has authority to answer that for us. And so I, wanna, I want us to yield to that this morning as we go to seek and find uh, this answer. We are in, as Mark said, the 7 I Am series. It's the, the first of our three series in John. We're on the last week of it uh, today. And we'll get to, to talk about Jesus as the, the true vine. Now, all of these are important. When Jesus says, ego, ma, I am, and then he gives an illustration, they're all revealing something about who God is. Right? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John 17 says that eternal life is knowing God and knowing Jesus whom he sent. And so these I am statements are bringing us into that, that answer of that question. How do I find life? Well, it's gonna be through Jesus. And the seventh one is really important. They're all important. But as they've built up, what this seventh one does is it actually brings us into the story. Right? And, and it teaches us how we can experience this life from Jesus that he actually has to offer. It brings the closeness of us to Jesus, to the Father, all through a simple statement. Now, I know there's type A in here because I am one of them. If you are type A, this is for you. This slide is just for you. This is where we're going this morning, okay? We're gonna be in John 15. We're gonna be there the whole time. And I want us to see what is this source of life? Where does it come from? Uh, how do we actually experience it? What is the way in which we experience it? And a warning within it, and then what are the results? What does it look like when we actually have found that uh, true life? And so John 14, right before this, ends with Jesus saying, rise, let's get up, and let's go. So he's been in the upper room, and most people believe that this kind of starts his journey to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. And so with that, Jesus has his disciples walking with him, and he says these words. John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, I want you to notice from the very beginning that before Jesus ever brings us into the illustration or us into the story, he establishes two things, who he is and who the father is. And I think that's a very important note for us as humans to remember that our identity, um, who we are, that flows out of who God is, not the other way around, which we tend to do. You know, my circumstances are hard, life is really difficult, therefore God is evil or does not care about me. My life is really good, therefore God is a God of blessing. 
But Jesus establishes, when I'm going to talk to you about where life is found, I want you to know it's found in who I am and who my identity is. And then he brings us into it in verse 5 and says that you are the branches. Now, if you're a first century Jew and you hear Jesus say, I am the true vine, you have kind of mixed emotions. On one hand, you see vines everywhere. They're very common in that time. And you've also heard God use the vine as an illustration. You would know passages like Psalm 80, verses 8 and 9 where it says that God brought a vine out of Egypt, that would be Israel, brought a vine out of Egypt and planted it, right, drove out the nations, it took deep root, and it filled the land. So he is connected in the Old Testament, Israel to being the vine. But you would also know Isaiah 5, which says that Israel became a corrupt and wild vine and did not actually do what God had intended for them to do. But it would still be hard to understand this because Israel is a whole nation, how could Jesus step in and say, as a single person, I am the vine? And not just the vine, but I am the true vine. How could he say that? I think what's implied here is that unlike Israel, who was disobedient, who received judgment, Jesus actually remains faithful and fulfills Israel's calling that they couldn't as a nation. And Jesus' whole time on this earth, he was doing that. He fulfilled what Adam couldn't accomplish in the garden. He fulfills what Israel couldn't accomplish in the promised land. He fulfills, even before we existed, what we can't accomplish on our own. And we see him bringing that out uh, to fruition through this illustration of the vine. Now, I wanted to kind of bring this to life a little bit. I love pictures. I'm a visual learner. We only have a couple of websites that we're kind of allowed to pull the pictures from for live stream purposes. And so I went to one of them, and I just typed in vine dresser. And like... I don't know, 300 pictures came back. And 90% of them, I'm not exaggerating, were of this one dude. <laughs> which made absolutely no sense. He's like a middle-aged man taking senior pictures in a vineyard. <laughs> and so, my high schoolers, my guys, I need someone to recreate this, okay? Your parents won't mind dropping hundreds of dollars to make it happen. And so, I would love to see it. But, so vine dresser, that's not helpful. Here's an image that is a little more helpful. In, in this story, Jesus doesn't leave it up to chance for us to figure out who's who. He actually names it. And he says, the father is the vine dresser. This is the cultivator, the caretaker, the one who prunes, the one who desires the fruit. His heart is that this garden grows. And that's the father. And then he describes himself, Jesus, as the vine, the source of life to the branches, the strength of the plant itself, the host of nutrients, the structure, the stability that imparts its goodness outward. To what? To the branches, which is us. Formed only through attachment to the vine, lifeless on our own, tasked with the responsibility to bear fruit that is to be enjoyed. Now Jesus uses this illustration to show from the very beginning that all life is gonna be found through him, that he is the source. But how do we actually receive it? What, what is the way that we receive this life? He uses this word repetitively, um, abide, is the way it's translated in the ESV. Some of yours may say remain. But he says, abide in me. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is, is using repetition, which anytime you do Bible study, you should highlight that because it's something is trying to be communicated, trying to catch our 
attention. But Jesus is saying that to experience the source of life, you have to stay close to me. That just like a branch cannot receive nutrients and bear fruit apart from the vine, you're gonna be lifeless apart from me. Now, this is probably not a word I don't think that we use a lot. This may show up on the ACT. I don't know. It's been a decade or so. Uh, so what does this, this word abide actually mean? Let's do a little bit of a word study. It's the Greek word meno. And really, the easiest way to translate it is either to remain or to abide. It's used 118 times in the New Testament, and most of the time it is used in reference to physical proximity, location. So Jesus would say something like, I'm about to go over here. I need you to remain there. I need you to abide there. I need you to stay where you are. I need you to be in close proximity to this thing. Uh, if I'm being honest, as I was studying this, feels like Jesus is sending a little bit of some mixed messages, okay? Because put this together with Doug's teaching from last week where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and he proclaims that he's about to go somewhere that they cannot go. And he follows that by saying, but stay with me. And I'm sure the disciples are like, okay, you said we can't. Are we supposed to come? Like, wh what are we doing here? And when you read the, the 11 uh, references in John chapter 15, it's very clear that this is much more of a spiritual nearness and abiding than it is actually physical, where we see that word uh, used a lot of other times. Later on, Jesus is going to explain to them more about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is going to be the best connection they have to actually remaining in him. But I want us to understand that when it comes to abiding, when it comes to abiding, there's an origination of that and a continuation of it, okay? There, there's, there's a point where that process begins and then it continues, just like lots of words in scripture, whether it be to trust. There's an initial trusting and a continue. Um, and so it's important to know that to remain, you actually have to have been there in the first place. You cannot remain somewhere that you have not been. And it's also important to note that if Jesus is saying your goal as a follower of me is to remain near me, that means our original position when we choose to follow him is we are already abiding. We are already near. And our job is to stay there. It's not something we have to earn. We don't have to become super spiritual. I, I wasn't an abider, but now I'm going to be an abider. This is our original position. And Jesus says, let me do the work. You stay near to me. You know, Doug Raines asked me in a meeting uh, this last uh, week how I was going to define abiding uh, to you guys. And if I'm being honest, I don't like being put on the spot. So nobody ever put me on, on the spot. We got some crazy stuff going on over here, which is awesome. We'll just address it. We'll just call it. Got some flickering. But as I was thinking about how am I going to address this, uh, I was honestly thinking about, like, it's kind of like answering what does water taste like? I don't know, but I know it when I taste it, right? I couldn't put a definition on what that is, and so I'm not even gonna try to define abiding. Instead, what I want us to do is look at what does Jesus actually say about it when he describes this process. And I think he, he says a couple of things. First of all, we tend to, or at least I do, tend to associate abiding with spiritual disciplines. If I read my Bible, if I pray, then I am abiding. And I do, that, I do believe that is a major part of being near to God and remaining and abiding. But look at what Jesus says. He pairs it with something. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. D.L. Moody says that the scriptures were not given just to increase our knowledge, but to transform our lives. And part of the abiding process with Jesus is not just reading about him, 
not just talking to him. It's actually doing what he as the creator of the universe has said to do and walking in step with him. He says, I'm your connection. Watch me. I've obeyed the father. I've remained in his love. Now you do the same for me. How hard could that be, right? And he's inviting us into that. Now, put this visually for you because I think this abiding process is kind of cyclical and those two aspects are at play. There is, there is a nearness aspect to knowing Jesus, being close to him, learning about him, talking with him, beginning and ending our days with him, practicing the spiritual disciplines. But there's also the aspect of when we learn those things, we do them. And we live the life that he has called us to live. There's an outward obedience factor. I get the privilege of meeting with a couple of high school boys every Monday, uh, Logan and Cole. One of the things that we do is we actually memorize scripture together, okay? That's not just a form of obedience, right? I don't think God is impressed that we can memorize nine words, right? It's not that hard. What it is, is it's something that we believe that the word of God is true, and when it says in, in the Psalms that we are to hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him, when the New Testament says that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, when it says that it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, we believe that as we have that act of obedience, it's gonna transform us and bring us nearer to the Lord, right? Now, you need both. If you try one without the other, you're gonna get stuck. If you seek to obey the commands of Jesus but have no actual relationship with him, that's called legalism, and it is exhausting. I've lived it for years, and many of you have probably come from something where this is the way that you live. No nearness, but man, I'm gonna do what that Bible says because I know it's good for me. And if you're near to Jesus and you're actually seeking him and practicing dis uh, spiritual disciplines, but you never put anything into practice, that's called hypocrisy. That's a lie. Because Jesus doesn't just call us into a relationship to know him, it's to follow him, to live for him. I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer summarizes it really well with this one statement. He's a German theologian who was martyred for his faith, and he says, only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. Belief, nearness, trust, knowing him leads us to act. And the more we act, it leads us to want to know God more. And the nearer we become, it leads us to want to obey him. And when we obey him and see the fruits of a relationship, it leads us nearer to him, and it's cyclical. And that process is the abiding process. So if life comes from him, it's found in a relationship with him, right? What, what could go wrong? Well, Jesus gives us a couple of warnings. He says this in 15.2. I think there's kind of two parts here, but every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So let's, let's start with that second part. He's talking about branches that are bearing fruit. These are, these are branches that are attached to the vine, but he says that he will prune them. Everyone loves a good mother-in-law story. I was corrected after I said that last service that apparently it's mother-in-love, okay? But we're gonna stick with mother-in-law for the sake of this story. And this was before she was my mother-in-law. Alex and I were dating, so this would have been over a decade ago. And I lived in a house in Fayetteville. And we had planted this tree. It was a beautiful tree. And it had split at the bottom. And so it was kind of actually growing into two trees with only about three or four inches of joint tree at the bottom. And she is a green thumb, and she, she comes in town for a football game and says, hey, by the way, you need to cut off one of those trees. And in true humble 21-year-old fashion, I said, this is my tree and I'll do what I want with it. 
which young men, that is not a way to talk to your mother-in-law. It's not a way to talk to anyone, but especially her. We weren't even married yet. How stupid was I? Um, but I tell her that, and I go inside. 60 seconds later, I come out. She found a saw in my garage and cut off one of the trees. I was livid. I was so mad. I didn't want to talk to her. I was like, that, you cannot do that because I knew what was going to happen. That tree was going to be ruined. It needed both of them. And when you go to that house in Fayetteville today, you know what you see? That tree is huge. And there's fruit everywhere. And it's like my mother-in-law was wiser than me or something. She lives in St. Louis. She doesn't know I'm saying that. But it needed to be pruned. I didn't think it did. But someone who knew more than me knew that it did. Jesus is saying that even as you bear fruit, there are gonna be some things that are uncomfortable that I'm gonna allow to take place so that you can bear, what? More fruit through the pruning process. Which checks out because if you've walked with Jesus for any number of years, you know that signing up to follow Jesus is not an instant like gold nugget to a fruitful life that has no problems. There's lots of difficult seasons that we will go through as believers, right? Three days from now is my anniversary, mine and Alex's anniversary. Not our anniversary of our wedding, but a year ago on May 4th, I'll never forget it, it was Star Wars Day, and I get a call from her, and she says, I'm, I'm in the doctor's office. She couldn't even speak to me because we had miscarried at 17 weeks. We were pregnant with our fourth child, and that's almost a year, and the Lord has done an incredible amount of healing over the last year. I never would have wished for it, but y'all, the growth that we have experienced personally, the way we've seen the body of Christ love us, the way that we've come to know the love of God and the love of Jesus more is something we never could have experienced without this season. So who am I to say, like, I don't want that? If it's gonna bring fruit for the kingdom of God and it's gonna mold me more into his image, I wanna be submissive to the Lord. It's been a hard season, and many of you have gone through hard season that, that have felt very pruning, but Jesus says it is for your good so that more fruit will bear if you remain in me through that. That is not the part of this, this warning that actually scares me. It's these branches that are getting cut off. Later, we'll see they're thrown into the fire. Like, what is happening with them? And when you think about context, I think that is very key to understanding what's going on here, because just two chapters before, which by the way, two chapters may seem like a long time to you because it takes like three years for fellowship to teach two chapters, right? It takes a long time. But this was probably just minutes or hours maybe before John chapter 15. And Jesus is in the upper room with his 12 disciples that he would stake his whole ministry strategy on, every bit of it. And one of them not only leaves him, but he goes and he turns him in to be murdered. Scripture says that Satan actually enters into to Judas and he leaves the upper room. So just minutes, hours later, who knows? I'm sure the disciples are still sitting there going, dude, what happened to Judas? Like, where did he go? Did he just go on a walk? Something was kind of weird as he was leaving. Like, is he coming back? And as Jesus enters into this, I am the true vine, I think he's saying, hey, some of the branches are actually not gonna bear fruit. They look good for a little bit, but then the fruit shows. And there are a couple ways you can interpret this verse six. It could be loss of, of fellowships, not loss of salvation. That doesn't line up with the rest of scripture. But it could be for believers, loss of fellowship because 
Uh, when we choose to disobey God and run away, we lose that fellowship, even though we're still secure in him. But I really think that there's a reference to Judas here of be careful being close to me, but not actually knowing me. And my fear is that in cultural Christianity, that could be so many of us. And so I beg you, do not let that be you. Sitting in, in mid, upper middle class, you know, cultural Christianity with a, with a morality that's slightly higher than par, but an inward connection with Jesus that is deficient and bone dry. That will earn us nothing but a pat on the back in this world. And Jesus invites us into something way deeper and way more rich, where there will be fruit that is produced that the world can enjoy and the kingdom of God can grow as people see us walking closely with Jesus. And that fruit, that's, that's the result. It's very simple. He says that if you, every branch that, that is in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, but every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You see the progression? And ultimately, as we buy, abide, the goal is to bear even more, to bear much fruit. And the proof of a life that abides closely with Jesus will be that fruit takes place. That people can see the, these acts of, of kingdom-mindedness, of the gospel spreading, of the fruits of the Spirit flowing out of people in and around our neighborhoods who clearly are different because they're living not out of their own strength, but out of the strength of Jesus flowing through them. I wanted to put some more flesh on this, and so I asked one of my mentors who I love and respect. He's my boss. He's a friend. He's walked with me through so many difficult seasons, and his name is Abel Schaefer. And I said, Abel, do you have any insight on what it looks like to bear fruit? And he sent me this, which is so kind. It's a classic Abel Schaefer move, um, which again, I was like, Abel, that's not helpful. But I actually didn't have to ask Abel this question. That's kind of a formality because I see it in everything the man does, the way he, he has the fruit of the Spirit overflowing out of him every single day in every conversation, the way that he sacrificially leads his wife and disciples his children, the way he leads our meetings. We cannot stop, start a meeting without going to the Lord for an extended time to invite him into it. And he's a man that I want to be like because I've seen his relationship with Jesus overflow. Not just him, I think of my wife. Think of Beth Kenyon, Mark Schatzman, Dick Nervig, Jack C. I could name 30 of y'all that I've had close relationship and I've watched you walk with Jesus and it transform your life. And the common theme that I've seen in all of that is that when you're abiding with Jesus, you don't have to try to produce fruit. It just happens. And scripture affirms that because it doesn't command us to produce fruit. It commands us to bear fruit, to be the conduit, to allow the vine, the, the true life of the vine, to actually flow in and through us and out of us through good works, through loving our neighbor, through the Holy Spirit working within us in everything that we do. That's our job. We can't produce it. We can't fabricate it. It won't be real. It'll fade away. And that fruit is not for our benefit, right? When have you ever seen a vine that produces fruit to eat it right back up? No, it produces so that it can be given away, so that others can enjoy the life that has flowed through that branch. Throughout history, God's people are marked as those who not only know him closely and personally, who abide, who are near, but those who obey him, who walk in his ways, who do the things that he commands us to do. 
as I was preparing for this and, and getting ready for this morning and thinking about abiding, there was one family that kept coming to mind personally for me. Many of you know them. They're some of our friends, Bobby and Beth, and they labored here in our city for the Lord for many years till God called them to Southeast Asia, and their kids have gone through FSM. They have three daughters. One of them's at JBU. Uh, another one's coming back local next year when she graduates, and Bobby was one of the first men who sat me down and said, hey, Hunter, I want to go through John 15 with you deeply. We did Discover Bible Study, and we walked through, what is Jesus actually saying? How does this apply? And so we, we called them and said, hey, could you film some, some footage over uh, where you're at, and we'll actually grab some footage of your daughter who's at JBU, and uh, I want us to do a couple things in this. I want you to hear the verses again. They're going to read John 15, 1 through 11 to start, because we need to hear it all the time, and then see how this actually plays out in their lives. John 15, 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of my word that I have spoken. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You know, I don't have to imagine very hard what my life would be like if Jesus wasn't the true vine. Um, I lived a lot, a long time, without actually being connected to Him. If Jesus weren't the true vine, I would be dead. I'd be lifeless. Uh, I think the storms of life and just everyday hardships and um, struggles would would wipe me out. Um, I wouldn't have his nourishment um, and I would be like a, a dead branch. If God wasn't the true vine in my life, um, I would latch on to other things that aren't healthy and wouldn't be fulfilling or give me the full joy and fruit of life that we see in the fruit of the spirits. What jumps out to me the most in John 15 is the second part of verse 2 when it says, Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. That can be kind of a scary thought that like the Lord will put us through different trials in a process that doesn't feel good, like pruning. I mean, that's cutting away branches. That doesn't feel good, but it helps us in the end to bear more fruit, which in my mind, bearing fruit can be how you spread seeds among other people and share the gospel, but it's also about how you grow closer to the Lord and about your own relationship with Him. Jesus is the source of my life and the source of fruit. When I face trials and when I go through hardships, it's this pruning process of the Lord deepening my relationship with Him and pushing me deeper into abiding with Him because the more opportunities that I have to struggle, the more opportunities that I have to run to Him. We know how to honor our Father and obey Him, and that is through being connected to Jesus. 
that Jesus is the example. He gives us the way and that if we follow after him, we can truly bear fruit and fruit that abides in him. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. These, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. These are the words from Jesus and that your joy may be full. And the same Jesus that spoke those words to his disciples 2,000 years ago is the same Jesus that speaks those words true today to our friends in Southeast Asia, is the same Jesus that speaks those words to different generations like Avery and Miss Shirley, is the same Jesus that invites us into a daily relationship with him. And this is, this is the why. Because he wants us to experience life and joy in him. Yes, there's obedience because Jesus knows where true life is found and when we get out of bounds. Uh, yes, there's sacrifice, but he says that when we come to him, the burden that we will bear through that process is way lighter because true rest is found in him. Following Jesus should not feel like a burden. If it does, you may not be going after the right Jesus. There's only one, and these are his words. He wants to lighten our load and to bring us into joy. You know, earlier I mentioned that uh, there are three kind of buckets that we need to fill in order to have a satisfied and full life. And I actually agree. I need all of these three things in my life. But the question is, which one do we go after? And it doesn't matter how full you can get these, even if you can get all three of them full, the word of God is true, that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing and it will all perish. So rather than running after these, you know what happens when we, when we abide in Jesus, when we have a fruitful life that is close and near to him? We actually find ourselves at the intersection of these three things. And we will never find more meaning and purpose in life than serving the creator of the universe. Never because those things don't fade away. We'll never find more freedom than in submission to Jesus, right? R.C. Sproul says that the only true freedom that man has is to be a servant of Christ. That's it. That's the only thing that frees us. Everything else is a facade. And freedom and submission is countercultural, but so is our God, and that's what he invites us into. And then community, man, when the church, when the bride of Christ is healthy, she is beautiful. And there is no greater community in the world. I just spent a weekend, right, sleeping in a cabin with 10 snoring men. Do you think that was restful? No, the answer is no, it's not. But I'm full. Because there's something about being around men and women who love you unconditionally, who serve the same God, the one true God that you serve, and live their lives sacrificially so that others can benefit from the fruit of their lives. Our hope as a church is that we would live lives that are so fruitful. And so to help us as we leave, this, this has been helpful to, for me as I think, how do I apply text to my life? I think there are lots of different things that we can apply. And so I want to give you something to ponder and think about, something to actually put into practice, and then something to process with people. So this ponder, what fruit is there in my life from abiding in Jesus? And by the way, all of our slides are found in the app if you 
uh, don't want to have to write all this down, but what fruit is there? That's not meant to bring shame or guilt. It's meant to be an honest assessment of the text. If abiding in Jesus looks like fruit will happen, where's the fruit? Something to think through. A practice. What is one abiding practice? Think through the spiritual disciplines that I can focus on this week, whether it's silence, solitude, fasting, prayer, reading. If you don't know what the spiritual disciplines are, it's a great question to process through with your community group. If you're not in a community group, we invite you to do biblical community and life with us as a church. This is only a taste of what we want the church to be throughout the week. And then when you're with those people, community group, family, uh, fathers, sons, daughters, mothers on the ride home, something to process, where do I tend to get off centered in the pursuit of life and fulfillment? Because if Jesus' words are true, that his desire is that we experience full joy, and if we're not experiencing it, even in the pruning process, where are we trying to be filled up? We want to be a church that has the fruit of God everywhere in our community so that when we are living in our neighborhoods and working in our jobs, people are like having to step over it going, why are these people so nice? Like, why do they love me so well? They don't even know me. Why have they memorized my kids' names and are asking how they're doing in school? Why have they invited me into their home? I'm from another country. I've never had an American invite me into their home because we are so close to Jesus that we want to obey him and bring others into this abiding relationship to find true life. I want to practice abiding together uh, this morning. Drew March reminded us at the men's retreat uh, that walking with Jesus is not a solo sport, all right? We need to do things together to do life and community. And so we're gonna do that through communion and through worship as we end our service. So would you stand with me? Kyle will be back up to lead us through communion in just a minute, but let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we love you and you invite us into something that we don't deserve and we can't imagine, but it is good. And your goal is not for us to experience burden when we choose to follow you, but to experience true life and true rest as it's found in you. God, would we be a church that produces fruit every day, not out of legalism, but out of an abiding relationship with you. We love you, Jesus.
Through the sin of one man, abiding with God in perfect communion was broken. But see in the language of Romans, even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus reclaimed our ability to abide. It's not by our work at all, but only by his He offered a way for any branch, which is you and me, by the way, previously destined to bear no fruit, access to life in his spirit and to the love of his father. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 11 over us uh, as a way to joyfully remember and celebrate Jesus's death and resurrection that claimed ultimate glory and victory over sin and death. And ultimately, uh, it it invites us into abiding life with Jesus. And notice that the fruit of the vine, even the fruit represented in this cup, with Jesus as the true vine, is the symbol that Jesus gave to his disciples and every disciple after them, from every disciple in first century Jerusalem to 21st century Ukraine to you and me here in Bentonville, Arkansas. Uh, He gave the fruit as a symbol that leads to a practice that we call communion, to remember and reflect on who he is. So as I read through 1 Corinthians 11, um, follow along with me as we take the elements. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
He ends by saying, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can abide, that we can be close to you. We can be close to your son, the vine, and you as the vine dresser. God, thank you for the, the seasons of pruning um, and also for the seasons of fruit bearing. We love you and we're thankful for your son. Amen. Let's lift up this chorus one more time. Oh, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My righteousness, oh God, how I Y'all can be seated for just a moment. Uh, Mark mentioned earlier that over in the student center with Fellowship Student Ministries that we like to call FSM, um, that we're always talking about beholding Jesus for who he actually is, belonging together in community, and then ultimately becoming disciples of him. Uh, so kind of in that spirit, we like to end our services over there at least with a way to belong, kind of as a commission. And so I'm going to give you a way to belong, to, to um, connect to our Fellowship Bentonville family uh, here just for the evening. And it's going to come in the form of just a couple bullet point things that I think are good for you to know. Uh, hey, if you're a guy in the room, we have our first uh, men's meeting this Wednesday at 6.15 a.m. And... Uh, Hunter can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're going to have donuts and coffee. Uh, I think Joe Falcon said he's bringing donuts at men's retreat, so that should be fun. He's, Hunter's over there like, I don't know, maybe donuts. Uh, high schoolers, y'all are invited to that as well, and um, we just want to see the, the fruit from this last weekend of men retreat, uh, men's retreat carry over into our week um, as we learn to belong together um, as brothers in Christ, as we sharpen each other and strengthen one another and ultimately dive into God's word um, and, and into each other's stories as well. Uh, if you're a lady in the room from seventh grade to 107, you're invited to a worship night that we're going to have at the Rogers campus. I won't be in attendance. I said we, but it's at the Rogers campus. Um, that's, that's to experience worship and community together, um, Fayetteville through Bentonville, women in the Fellowship Bible Church ministry. Um, I know Mark also mentioned at the beginning our newcomers gathering over in the FSM room. If you are a newcomer, uh, we would love to see you over there in just a little bit. If you have kids, go ahead and pick them up. Uh, if you want some coffee, grab some coffee in the back and meet us over in the student center. Um, I'll, I'll be over there for a little bit as well. If you have a 7th through 12th grade guy or girl student, I'd love to say hello. Uh, that's all we have for you. We love you a lot. Happy first Sunday. Uh, thanks for letting us as the student team come worship with you guys. Y'all have a wonderful afternoon.